0: Welcome to the podcast series from the Forum at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. You may also watch a video of this event at www.forumhsph.org. Welcome. My name is Julie Steenhuysen, and I'm a health and science correspondent with Reuters News Agency, and I'm your moderator for today. Um, Our program is going to be an hour long, and it's a collaboration between the Forum at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, and Reuters, which is streaming today's event. Uh, today's panelists, starting from my right, are Marcia Castro, who is an associate professor of demography at Harvard Chan School and a member of the faculty advisory committee of the Brazil Studies Program. Um, I'd also like to introduce Ashish Jha, he is the director of the Harvard Global Health Institute and a professor of international health at Harvard Chan School. And the Honorable Nils Dolaire, who is the former Assistant Secretary of, for Global Affairs in the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And joining us remotely is Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is Director of the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases. We're here to discuss the spread of the Zika virus, which the World Health Organization has recently declared a global health emergency. This virus, is no stranger. It's been around for decades, but um, recently it has begun spreading rapidly in South America, in Central America, in the Caribbean, and there are new concerns about links to a birth defect called microcephaly. And this has raised many alarms in Brazil and elsewhere. And adding to the worries about Zika is the new discovery that the virus is not only spread by mosquitoes, but it can be spread through sexual contact, and it also can be spread through blood transfusions. Um, Let's take a look at a clip from Reuters. Um, It was taken on February 24th, and it's about the CDC looking at possible cases of sexual transmission.
1: The CDC investigating 14 new cases in which the Zika virus was possibly spread through sex. Reuters health editor Michelle Gershberg.
0: The CDC statement has potentially global implications about the Zika virus. We're far from saying that we know for certain um, that sexual transmission is a possibility. Um, But what it starts to do for public health officials is raise the awareness that, you know, it's not just about tracking the mosquito. With a world of global travel, right, we could start to see Zika virus pop up in a more significant way in countries where you wouldn't necessarily expect the mosquitoes to arrive
1: health officials have been struggling to better understand the mosquito-borne Zika, which has been linked to brain defects among newborns in Brazil and has spread to more than 30 countries so far. The CDC's announcement Tuesday highlighting how little is still known about the virus. billionaire Bill Gates, who says his powerful foundation is deeply involved in fighting the epidemic, telling Reuters much more needs to be done.
2: This one has definitely caught us by surprise. Uh, Zika was not recognized as causing an Uh, a big problem. You'd like to say, okay, here's an outbreak and literally within weeks have antibodies, diagnostics, uh, drugs or vaccines against these things. We're not, uh, the medical science is not there and the orchestrating the resources quickly is not there
1: one bright spot, two medical centers in Texas on Tuesday said they were rolling out the country's first rapid detection test for Zika, which provides results within hours rather than the days or weeks previous diagnostics needed to process. The test is currently only available to patients registered at the two hospitals, but researchers are planning to expand its availability to other facilities.
0: Thank you. And um, now I'd like uh, to turn it over to Dr. Fauci. Um, Dr. Fauci, can you tell us what is known about Zika, You know, what are our concerns, what do we need to know, and how are we coping with this new virus?
2: Well, it's important to realize that this is a, uh, an evolving situation. And as the weeks and months go by, we learn more and more. And I'm certain that there are going to be other things that we will be learning. So if you want to talk about the challenges that we have, a, a key challenge is to understand the disease as it is evolving before us. You mentioned very correctly that this is the first Mosquito-borne infection that is apparently now, with more and more compelling evidence mounting, that there's a direct causal relationship with congenital abnormalities, particularly microcephaly, in in children. You mentioned again the important aspect of its sexual transmission because that has implications, as you say, um, for people who might go to the co- to the countries or the region involved and come back and have sex even with a non-pregnant person, and inadvertently make them infected. But importantly, people who have pregnant wives or pregnant girlfriends, the the recommendations from the CDC now evolve that. I think if you look at the recommendations from the federal government and other agencies, how they've evolved over the last few weeks is a testimony to how we're learning things. There's the recommending women don't travel because we know now a very growing connection between uh, infection during pregnancy. Then telling men who come back to practice safe sex or refrain from sex if you have a pregnant sexual partner through the duration of the pregnancy. Then we have the uh, transfusion associated and now refraining from transfusion. I believe that we're gonna be learning more and more. So we really have key challenges about that. Uh, Guillaume Beret, we just had a recent report from French Polynesia with an incidence of about 24 per 100,000. We need to know more about that. The other thing we absolutely need to know is the relationship between asymptomatic infection and symptomatic infection. Does an asymptomatic person who likely has a lower level of viremia is there the same risk to the fetus? Is there the same risk to transmission? The other critical issue, you mentioned this idea about diagnostics. The question I get asked most of all is, were women who are pregnant? have been there, but feel well. They, they want to know if they've been infected or not. And, you know, it's nice to say, well, do serial sonograms and ultrasounds, but they want to know now, have I been infected? And I think to be able to have a sensitive and specific antibody test is important. And then the other challenge is obviously the issue with vaccines. We need to get a vaccine, and we will soon, into early phase one trial to determine safety and whether or not, it induces the kind of response you'd hope would be protective. The good news about that is that Zika is a flavivirus, and we have made vaccines against flavivirus. Yellow fever, we've made vaccines against dengue, and we would have had a vaccine for West Nile if we had a company that was interested in partnering with us. So there's a challenge there, but it's going to take time. So right now, the issue is going to be control it by mosquito control and by avoiding mosquitoes.
0: Thank you, Dr. Fauci. Marcia, you were recently in Brazil. Uh, tell us what you've observed there.
3: So, a lot has changed since I was in Brazil in January. And just to give you the latest numbers that we have as of February 27, uh, there have been about 5,900 suspected cases reported in the country since last year. Of those, 641 have been confirmed for microcephaly. And of those, about 80 had a Zika virus confirmed um, in the baby. Uh, But we still have 4,200 cases that are under investigation. Most likely, a lot of those are false positives, sort of connected with the screening criteria uh, for microcephaly that the government is using now. If you think about Zika virus, it's being transmitted now in 22 of the 27 states in Brazil. Um, And although probably you've heard the figure of 1.5 million cases. We really have no idea how many cases Mm -hmm. we had, because the disease was not of mandatory notification. This just changed in February 18. So we don't know the numbers. In terms of the relationships between Zika and microcephaly, as Dr. Fauci said, um, we still have many questions that we don't have the answer for. But there certainly have been a lot of production of knowledge um, in the recent past. So we have several cases that have been reported showing the presence of the virus in the amniotic fluid, in the placenta, yeah. in the blood of the newborn, in different organs and tissues of fetus. Um, but the connection or the causality has not been completely accepted or established. Uh, what is important is we had one case reported about a week ago of a woman that had a perfectly normal ultrasound by week 14, and starting on week 18, abnormal ultrasounds. Yeah. Week 32, fetal death. What is curious about this case is that she had asymptomatic infection. No symptoms at all of Zika, Dengue, or chikungunya. So that shows us that even asymptomatic infections can be associated with malformations. Why that matters? Because only one in five Zika infections will have symptoms. So we have a visible problem, but a much larger invisible problem unfolding. And uh, just yesterday, there is a new piece of research that came out from a a group of researchers in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And they used human um, stem cells that they grew to closely mimic brain cells. They infected them with Zika virus, and they were able to show cell death and reduced growth. That's probably the closest step we have made to be able to show an effect of Zika on brain development. Um, There is also uh, a group looking uh, to see if there are any vectors that Mm -hmm. can transmit uh, Zika. I hope they don't find anything because vector control is challenging as it is. Only with Aedes aegypti, we don't need another vector to interfere in this process. But I'll talk about vector control later.
0: (laughs) Great. Okay. Um, ASHISH, uh, you've uh, evaluated the World Health Organization's response to Ebola. I'm wondering if you can tell us you know, what similarities and differences you see now with the response to Zika.
4: Sure. So obviously, the Zika outbreak comes in the, in the shadows of, of what happened with Ebola. And I think it's worth taking about 30 seconds and, and thinking about what we have learned from the Ebola crisis. So uh, I think there is very little doubt that the world failed in its response to Ebola. Mm-hmm. Um, I think by lots of estimates, probably 90% of the deaths that occurred in West Africa could have been prevented if the system we had in place to respond to diseases like Ebola had worked the way they were supposed to. Um, And the failures were multiple, and certainly they were failures both at the local country level as well as at the international level. Um, The response to Zika has been better. I mean, it it Mm -hmm. certainly has been much better by the individual countries. It's been much better by PAHO, the the regional um, agency, and I think Niels will talk more about this, and uh, by WHO, uh, declaring relatively early on uh, the public health emergency of international concern. that better response, I think, has to be thought about in the context of three facts, right? The first is that Zika happened in the spotlight of Ebola. The world was watching. The chances mm-hmm. that there was going to be a delay this time, I think, uh, just weren't very high. And in fact, some people have asked, you know, did they go too fast? <laughs> I, I don't think so, but, but that's a reasonable concern. Uh, but it happened under this spotlight. The second, and, and I think And we'll hear more about this from Niels. But it happened in Brazil, which is a country that has a much better public health system. And then both Ebola and Zika are diseases that are not particularly contagious. If you think Mm -hmm. about it, Ebola is a caregiver's disease. Um, You actually have to have contact with people who are very sick. Uh, Zika, obviously, is primarily transmitted through mosquitoes Though we now know uh, it can also be through blood transfusions and sexual activity. And so in my mind, when I take a step back I think the big question in front of us is what happens when the spotlight is off, because there will come a time when not everybody's paying attention, Um, and we have a disease that hits a country with poor infrastructure, poor health system, and is highly contagious. How ready are we for that scenario? That uh, That is a scenario we will live through at some point. Uh, hopefully uh, not anytime soon, and hopefully it will, we have, we'll have enough time to prepare for that, and I think we'll come back to that. Uh, but that's the big question. Um, I think we've seen a better response for w- uh, WHO, but it does not give me confidence that we are where we need to be.
0: Nils, you served on uh, the executive board of the World Health Organization. Can you tell us how Zika and the response to Zika sort of fits into global health priorities and the global health agenda?
5: Yeah, uh, and, and let me just start uh, by echoing uh, Ashish. In this instance, important pieces of the global public health system actually wor- have worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really in marked contrast uh, to the experience with Ebola. Um, I'll come back to that. But the other uh, important issue is that the spread of Zika and uh, the associated microcephalus clearly, once again, demonstrate that we need to pay attention to the whole system and not just to individual pieces of the system. Uh, And finally, the system is not just a biomedical system. Uh, But it's also social, economic, and political. And let me briefly talk about those things. In terms of things working, uh, we're very fortunate that Zika emerged in a country that has a very robust public health system. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Fio Cruz, their, their public health institute, is one of the world's leading public health institutions. Uh, The fact that this emerged in 2015 and was identified in spite of the delay of pregnancy uh, before the end of the calendar year is a really marked contrast to the experience uh, with Ebola in West Africa. And for that, the the Brazilians really need to be recognized um, and and lauded. Uh, The Pan American Health Organization, the regional arm of WHO, has been uh, on the case and responsive, as has very much, CDC. Uh, and the World Health Organization took quick action in terms of declaring a public health emergency of in- international concern uh, with respect to the microcephaly. And were I think, appropriately careful about uh, the causal linkage between the virus and microcephaly, although increasingly it, it really appears that those things are uh, deeply intertwined. Uh, so those things worked. And then on top of that, the fact that we had a system in place to start responding internationally through the global health security agenda that was launched by the uh, Obama administration uh, now nearly two years ago, uh, this has sort of put us in a pre-positioned spot. And yet, we see that Zika is spreading rapidly. Uh, We see uh, multiple thousands of cases of microcephaly. Uh, We're seeing them now in some other countries in addition to Mm -hmm. Brazil. Uh, And what really becomes clear is that um, the uh, public health system is not just a matter of getting vaccines in place or diagnostics in place. Uh, The people who have been most deeply affected uh, initially are the poor, the disenfranchised people living in slums. Uh, This is the area where you have um, breeding grounds for the Aedes aegypti mosquito, uh, where environmental controls have actually gone down over the past 20 years. Aedes was almost. Uh, eliminated in the Western Hemisphere uh, through the end of the 1990s and has come roaring back because we stopped paying attention to this, and particularly stopped paying attention to it in uh, low-income areas. Uh, So it is a matter of social and economic justice. Which impacts on public health for all of us. Uh, I think most troubling in terms of the dynamics that we're seeing here is the issue of who is most profoundly impacted, which is mothers and right. their children. Uh, we've seen that uh, the Minister of Health of El Salvador has recommended that no one get pregnant, no woman get pregnant until 2018, uh, and this is in the context of some very disturbing realities on sexual and reproductive health and rights throughout Latin America and the world, in fact, where most of these women uh, don't have good access to contraceptives. They don't have control over uh, there's a lot of sexual violence, and certainly they don't get to say no. Uh, And they don't even have good access uh, to services that they might be able to use to prevent pregnancies. And in no instance, certainly in El Salvador, where abortion is totally against the law, could they take action if they learn that they're pregnant and have an infection. Uh, This is, I think, at best naive, and at worst, deeply cynical. If we're not going to deal with a disease that takes an enormous human toll, uh, in the US it's estimated that if you have a child born with microcephaly, the lifetime costs of that are a $1 million. Um, Obviously, the costs are less in low-income countries. The proportional costs are vastly higher. And we have to recognize that unless we deal with this at all levels of the system, uh, we're simply uh, turning the problem over to those with the least power to do anything about it. So I think this is a reminder of um, a statement that was made uh, by Rudolf Virchow over 150 years ago, that public health and medicine are social interventions. And politics are public health in the most profound sense. Uh, We have to deal with this at all levels of the system, internationally as well as domestically, if we're going to really have an impact. And I think maybe nature is trying to give us a warning. Uh, It's time to do something.
0: This has been a production of The Forum at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. You can find the complete video of this event and post your comments at www.forumhsph.org. Thank you for sharing The Forum.